welcome to series two, episode three of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is Daniel Parslow, a player hugely popular with supporters and someone who always gave 100% every time he wore a York City shirt. Daniel is the only player to have ever won Player of the Year on three separate occasions and is in the top 10 all-time appearances for the club. Daniel played a significant part of the Wembley Twice team of 2012 and is open and honest about his long association with the football club. This episode is proudly sponsored by Play Football, who are still spreading the word about their growing Walking Football initiative. Available on Tuesday and Thursday mornings every week at 10am, this is hugely suitable for men and women over the age of 50 to help stay active. The first session is free, as is the banter and the free cuppa that is there for players after every session. If you like the sound of it, then get down to Stirling Road, Clifton Moor. York Hospital Ball is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio. The views from our guests are their own and might not necessarily be the views of the station. But without further ado, here is our final episode of Series 2, Daniel Parslow. So thanks very much, Dan, for joining us. So much York City to talk about. But I thought it was probably poignant for us to sort of talk a little bit about Cardiff City. Quite a long apprenticeship with them, didn't you? I did. Eight years and, you know, I was looking at the pro deal that you had. Players like Joe Ledley, Cameron Jerome, Darren Purse, Jason Coombe. Yeah. That must have been a hell of a sort of development for you as a, as a young lad. It was. I came through the ranks at Cardiff and I got picked up when I was 12, I think it was, playing for my local team. And yeah, from the ages of 12 to 16, mum and dad used to take us to training a couple of nights a week. And we lived about 35, 40 minutes on the outskirts of Cardiff. So after school, we'd, we'd go down and I'd train in the evenings. And then at 16, I got offered my, my YTS as it was called then, and full-time football, which was the dream. Was that sort of cleaning the boots and stuff as well? Absolutely, yeah. So I cleaned Tony Vidmar's boots, Australian guy, 100 caps for Australia. Did he take well? He did, actually. He did. (laughs) But I was very thorough. I was very diligent. Andy Campbell, so I cleaned Cam's boots for a year, and then Darren Purse. I loved being a YT. It was a fantastic grounding, if you like. You're around first-team players playing championship football, and you're desperate to get to that level, if you like. So training every day, learning. I mean, I had the likes of James Collins, Danny Gabadon, all centre-halves in front of me. So it was a tough ass to break into the first team. Were Cardiff the team that you supported as a boy? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, my dad took me. I was on the terraces. I used to go when I was six, seven, eight. So I used to watch watch all the Cardiff games, and I was living the dream, if you like. So I was fortunate to get that pro deal, and didn't quite cut it. Was Dave Jones the manager then? So Lenny Lawrence offered me my professional contract, and very soon after that, he departed. Dave Jones came in and didn't really get a look in. I didn't make an appearance. He was very honest. He said, "Look," he said, "I think you're gonna." have a career in professional football, but I don't think you're good enough for championship level. And my contract ran out and on to Pastures New. And the worst thing about it all was I, uh, the Cardiff City at the time didn't allow their youth team players to go out and get some experience on loan. So I was 20, 21 years of age and I hadn't played a first team match. It was hugely frustrating. 
and, and I guess that might account for why you ended up in the non-league Absolutely. then, was it? If you sure. maybe had been out on loan yeah. at maybe a League One or that's Two it. team, you might have been able to kind of to impress prove, that, prove that you yeah. could play at that level. That's which, it. Yeah. Um, and just before I move on to York City, obviously playing for Wales as well, you know, under-17s. I know she played against Mario Gomez yeah. against Germany, yeah. under-19s, under-21s, and including a match at Ewood Park against England, Stuart Downing, James Milner, Darren Bent. Yeah, you know, it must have been a hell of a, an experience again. It was, and I got huge admiration for the Wales and the 21s manager at the time, Glenn Hodges, because I wasn't playing first-team football. Bear in mind, you're playing against England internationals at under-21 level, who were all probably playing Premier League or Championship football. And I was playing reserve football for Cardiff. Glenn sort of believed in me, if you like. There weren't too many of us in that Welsh under-21 team who actually were playing senior mm. football. Yeah, it was fantastic experience. Real proud moment for me and my family. And if I close my eyes, I can still remember it well. Moving on to York City then. So how did that move come about? Locality-wise as well, it's a, a long way to go mm. for a young lad, isn't it? I presume you kind of moved on your own. And I did. It was... Hugely frustrating, having not played any senior football at 2021. You look at players now at championship level, 17, 18, they're straight out on loan. It suits the player, it suits the parent club. And the loanee club are benefiting from a good young player. So when I was 21 and looking for a football club, I wrote letters to every single football league club in the country asking for an opportunity. A few said thanks but no thanks, didn't hear from most. And it was only through my reserve coach at Cardiff who knew Colin Walker, the assistant manager at the time, and York City were looking for a centre-half. Colin rang Paul Wilkinson, who was my coach at Cardiff, and Wilco rang me and said, Dan, York City are looking for um, a centre-half. Do you fancy going up on trial? Without even thinking about it. how many miles it was. <laughs> Honestly, I just said, yeah, when do you need me there? They said, tomorrow. So this was on a Sunday. They said, can you get up there for training on Monday? So this was four o'clock in the afternoon. I then very quickly Googled where York was. I realised he was a hell of a long way from Cardiff. <laughs> I thought, I best pack a bag and get on my way because I had a five and a bit hour journey to go. So I was that desperate to play football. What, um, what do they do about Do they just put you up in digs then for the, for the week or something? They or? said, we've we've got you a and b um, So I stayed in the group. Groves B&B just around the corner from Bootham and I was in there for a few nights which turned into two weeks I sort of had like a an extended trial I think Billy sort of wanted to make sure I was the right signing for him and uh, yeah and then it was at that point they said here's your contract which was not great but <laughs> it was an opportunity to play professional football and I had to then go and find a place so some of the office staff at the ground, Louise Jack, got really close to Louise and she she helped me sort of search for flats. And it must have been hard on the wage, obviously, you were on. <laughs> it was. I had to borrow money off my mum and dad. I couldn't afford to live in York. I mean, I was in a bed sit. You could probably just about swing a cat in there. But I was that desperate to play football. My mum and dad understood that this is what I'd always wanted to do and they paid my petrol bills and a little bit of the rent. I've been fortunate then to sort of earn in my keep, if you like, and sort of prove myself and then bit by bit, year by year you sort of through your performances you're no longer a rookie and you've sort of proven that you're capable and um, able to perform well so that first game that you made your debut at Crawley in a 3-0 defeat coming on sub that's so that was my first senior appearance and well obviously I played in like international football for Wales but my first club appearance and 3-0 down Billy McEwen said Dan you're going on bag of nerve he said go and win me the game it really calmed me down and it was it was brilliant I think I only had 15 minutes or so 20 minutes or so but yeah I had a taste of it and it was at that point then that I thought you know what I can do this and um, I just craving more what was Billy like 
What was he like after a 3-0 defeat at Crawley, for instance, in your first... Angry. He was very emotional. And he had that fear factor. I mean, especially as a young, a 21-year-old just starting out in in men's football. It was his way. He liked to tell you where to pass the ball, where you should be. He would bark orders on the side. And looking back now, I mean, I've played under loads of different managers and hugely different styles. But as a player, I don't think he probably got the best out of me because of his demeanour, really. I think it affected me. I got a bit flustered and I was desperate to impress, if you like. The elder chaps or those who had slightly different character to me were able just to shut it out and just think, God, that's just a real passionate manager, but I know what I'm doing and I'm going to go and perform how I know I can perform. I think we had a very good group. I think you, you look back to that to that team in my first year, you, you had lads who, there were no real sort of divisive characters. There were no troublemakers or whatever you want to call it. We were all keen to learn and keen to impress and get up the league. Because he quite liked players that were quite raw, like Clayton Donaldson, for instance. Clayton. He, wasn't, he wasn't the finished article. He wasn't. Yard, but he had such raw pace. But yeah, I was sort of looking at that first season. I mean, obviously ended up with the playoffs but you know your, your first starts against Kidderminster at home in front of 2,100 alongside David McGurk and then playing Morecambe at home in the playoffs mm. is 6,600 mm. it's incredible how that that season actually turned out didn't it, it but we should have got promoted that year I thought we had such a we were really unfortunate to lose the way we did against Morecambe I think decisions went against us especially in that second leg I think the goalkeeper was fortunate to stay on he absolutely clattered it was like a Harold Schumacher sort yeah, of moment, wasn't it? it was and so close to to getting over the line we had a really strong strong group that year and then obviously the next season is it fair to say that the club had a bit of a playoff sort of hangover losing Donaldson was, was that just someone that you just can't replace I think the club obviously were, were gambling on sort of him staying and in the end obviously he ended up going north of the border and that had financial implications to the football club and I think I think the whole club was shook a little bit but no I, I think when Billy left I think everyone was surprised how, how do you feel about that then because it, it, you sort of mentioned there that probably didn't get the best out of you but Colin Wall who then comes in obviously he's, he's someone who's effectively got you to the club yeah so you must have been quite almost quite pleased yeah I mean obviously with Colin being the assistant I I knew that he thought highly of me I think he was always the one who sort of was in my corner if you like and I think it was Billy who thought that I, at times I wasn't quite ready Colin had worked with the group from an assistant manager's position and then we went on a really good run when Colin sort of got like the caretaker role if you like and then the board thought well we cannot give him the job I was only chatting to Sophie not too long ago down at a York City South meeting for my benefit year and we were discussing Colin's sort of interim period where we just did so well and I think in hindsight I think Sophie and the board came out and said that Col was just a really good coach and whether they thought that in the end he just wasn't quite management sort of I don't think he was tough enough to be manager and I don't mean that in a bad way he's such a nice guy he's gone back to coaching now hasn't he he has and he's a brilliant coach we sort of didn't really do too well we sort of bumbled around mid-table that year and um, not good enough for where York City should be really and then the following season you know Colin Walker leaves Martin Fall comes in it's not the best season because obviously the club end up 17th but for you personally you end up captain in the club at Wembley you play 57 out of 58 games which the only one you missed was because you were arrested for the FA Trophy final and you win your first ever club in every yeah. year. I think that's where I started to mature as a player. I think I, I had that sort of belief and confidence and knowing that you are going to play week in, week out. I never became complacent. 
it just gave me confidence knowing that Foyley sort of believed in me, made me captain. It made me feel 10 feet tall, if you like. So I came out of my shell and my performances, although in a, in a year that we struggled on a personal level, I think I played some, some really good football and we were having to defend a lot that year, <laughs> as our league position suggests. And I think it was that season where fans probably saw me coming out of my shell and me establishing myself. With Martin Foyle coming in, when, when we had Michael Ingham on the podcast, he was saying that you could tell with Martin Foyle that that something was building there. Did you did you feel the same? Because towards the end of that season, I think we had to beat sort of Weymouth under fives, didn't we, to sort of stay up. Following season, we can't mm. pull up the table. I think Foyley tried to stretch the catchment area for a long time, especially in my, although I came from South Wales, the huge, the large majority of the squad was from the northeast or on the doorstep of York. Whereas Foyley, I think he was very studious of the game and he, he was aware of all these players scattered around the country. He was the one who provided a house to offer to players to say, look, up to York, fantastic football club, and there's some digs available as part of the deal. And I think that was a huge sort of pull. I mean, we we ended up bringing the likes of Neil Barrett, Michael Gash, yeah. Richard Paquette. Players. I guess they couldn't all fit in your bed sit, could they, Rick? <laughs> no, they couldn't. Before <laughs> he understood my situation, he knew I'd moved to York. I was on my own, well, away from my family. I'd met my now wife. But he said, look, Dan, he said, we're going to get this house. You can have first dabs, if you like. Get yourself in there, and I'm going to be bringing another four or five up. And he said, you know, I'm going to attract some players from all over, and we're going to have a right go. And so I moved into the house, and I ended up living with James Meredith, Neil Barrett, Alex Lawless. It was it was great, and we, we clicked, we got on, and we went on to have a fantastic year. They're really good players, like you say, there, yeah. you know, made a massive difference. Following season, you know, obviously getting to the playoff final, but but Stoke away as well in the FA mm. Cup, which I know you've scored a fantastic volley into the top corner at the wrong end, but, you know, do you look back on that season as well as being good season, wasn't it, for you personally? I'd had spells in the team, I'd had spells in out of the team. I, I, I was bitterly disappointed not to play in that playoff final. I had a slight niggle and Foyley and Port sort of said, oh, look, don't risk it. Let's just get you right. And I was like, okay. And then I ended up not getting back in the team. Because yeah, Luke Graham came Luke in. Luke came in, did well. And then we had Jimmy who came in, who was another good player. So who, so Jimmy had worked with Foyley down at Salisbury. Yeah, I just, I just didn't get back in. And I was gutted to not be able to contribute and to sort of have your destiny in your own hands to sit there and watch us lose to Oxford was hard. Fantastic highs with the, the FA Cup run. We had fantastic experience and obviously would have rather have not stuck one past Ingy. And <laughs> still gives you abuse about that to this day. I still can't quite believe how I managed to do it. 99 times out of 100, I'd never do that. Just going back to that start game, it was a mad day, wasn't it? Because the weather was horrendous, the players got there really late I said on when we interviewed Michael that you know I was really gutted for the players because yeah. that's your, your big moment against a Premier League team and then Ingy said he was a bit embarrassed really in the sort of tunnel because you know they're all there waiting and, and then obviously they got the Rory Delap throw what was that like? I actually played right back that game and I was up against Etherington and believe I was playing right back and the throwing could be on the other side of the field and it'd still reach me at right full back it was incredible it was just like an arrow and I just misread the flight that's how I ended up scoring the own goal I think it sort of had so much pace on it but going back to the preparation I think Foyley he didn't want to sort of glam up oh you know let's all go down the night before and let's make it a big trip I think Foyley just wanted to see it as another game like we had done you know to get to the FA Cup third round but yeah I think it would have been nicer to sort of enjoy it 
and prepare properly rather than frantically trying to get ready on the bus and because it must have known as well in the in the week the forecast the forecast was, was terrible it was just mad to sort of see the players sort of running out for like yeah. I think Ingy called it a, a microwave warm up it was ref- we were able to push it back to 3.15 and we I think we had a 10 minute warm up and it was a shame because all our friends and family they all bought tickets and they were all at the ground before us it wasn't ideal if only I hadn't scored that own goal. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> then the season after, is it is it fair to say again that there was probably a bit of a playoff hangover? You know, after the Oxford game, mm. you know, we didn't start well. We lose five nil at Mansfield, I remember, and then Martin Foyle goes out, and yes. then plus Gary Mills comes in. What was your first impressions of Gary Mills? You're in and out with Foyle towards the mm-hmm. end. But were you looking forward to kind of having someone with fresh sort of start with you? Or? I think so. I, th- I enjoyed my time under Foyle, and so much so I asked him to come back, be part of my benefit game. Really got on with Foyle. I've never had any upset with any of the managers I've worked, and uh, I think they've seen that I like to work hard. I'm honest. And if I play, I play. If I'm not in the team, I'll try and work a little bit harder, if you can, to get back in the team. If, if you're out, for example, you think, well, here we go, and clean slate. Yeah, yeah. And some managers say that it's a clean slate and stick by it. Others say it's a clean slate and don't. But no, I think Mills, he came in with a new energy. First thing Gary Mills did was bring Chris Smith with him and a centre-half. So I thought, oh, here we go again. And he'd worked with Smudge before. He trusted him, brought him in as skipper. And then you're thinking, straight away, you're thinking, God, there's one less centre-half spot already. And I know how good a player David McGurk was. So it's not paranoia, but it's just reality. I mean, you're on a year's contract. You need to try and impress the new manager and you hope that you can get enough game time on the pitch to get that new contract. Did you know anything about him before he... It was announced. I was in York with Emma, my wife. I looked at my phone and thought, new manager announced. And I was looking and I was thinking, Gary Mills. And the name rang a bell. But So I quickly sort of found out a bit more about him. And then we get a message from the secretary to say, turn up Monday, new manager's in, be ready. And that's it. You're off. A new manager to impress. And hopefully you get the shirt. What was his sort of first team meeting like? Very intense. But straight away, I got the impression and the feeling that I thought, oh, I think I'm going to enjoy working for this chap. Really, he was straight. He said, we're a good group of players. Just needs, you know, he's going to give everyone an opportunity. And yeah, I really got a good feeling from him. He could talk to you. Very comfortable talking to his players. I think a huge, huge factor in playing professional football and managing a group of players is talk to them as normal human beings. Within weeks, I I got that feeling from him. He then brings Chris Smith in, centre-back down. And I think I'd started one game at centre-half with T.Y. And Dwayne Courtney played full-back. And then brought Smudger in. And then I got shoved across to right-back. And it was funny, he's... This first week, he said, Paz, you're a centre-back. He said, I know you're a centre-back. I know you desperately want to play centre-back because Foyle would play me at right-back now and then. He said, that's where you're going to play. And then he grabbed me the week after (laughs) and said, Paz, I need you to play right-back. I just need you to play right-back for me. But I guess that's quite a good thing for you, isn't it? Because he's trusting you to be in the team, isn't he? And all right, it's not in your preferred position. But that first season that he comes in, you can see things are building there, can't you? I I certainly remember going to Rotherham away in the FA Cup and and it was nil, or it was nil, nil, it wasn't a great game. But but they were sort of flying high in the league above and you were thinking, oh, actually, fact, we've we've come away. All right, we might get beat in the replay, but then... The replay comes around and we beat them 3 0. Yeah. Probably one of the most one sided second halves I think I've ever seen at Boone Chris. We absolutely battered them. I went on amazing and I missed an absolute sitter in that second leg. I picked up the ball in right back. I ended somehow it just opened up for me. And I remember just charging through and I was sort of one on one with the keeper, but on the angle. So it wasn't a sitter and I just ballooned it over the bar. Everyone was buzzing in the dressing room after Millsy and Darren G were just 
taking the mick and going back to your point about building i think i think gary and and jibo sort of just created an atmosphere where when we were working we worked hard and he he liked to sort of relax he liked to sort of create a, an environment where there was that great team spirit but when we went out on that pitch everybody knew their jobs it was very simple it was few little buzzwords few little key points and you could go out there with your eyes closed and you'd know that the person to your left person to your right they just know exactly what to do. Was that the same even though you were playing right back? Up? I mean, I've never been blessed on the ball, really. I've always sort of liked to defend and give it to players, you know, who are in the team, do more creative things. And when I got pushed to right back, it was a case of stopping your winger and then just giving the ball to Scott Kerr in midfield who could sort of get his tick in or just pass the ball to Ash Chambers or Blairy who could just, who were like greyhounds. He just simplified the game. I think too many people try and complicate football. And I think he, he understood that he had players who were willing to listen and learn and who were all bought into sort of his ideas. And we proved that with the success we went on to have. Bolton in the FA Cup as well, you know, did that feel better that game? It was almost... I felt like it was a bit of a kind of just reward for what happened at Stoke the year the before. Year, yeah, to actually have that experience again, definitely. So. And for for an hour, seventy minutes, we we held our own. I, th- I think we yeah. were actually the better team, and we had some really good chances. And they then bring on, I think Elmander comes on, who must have cost, I think he cost about seven or eight million. And I was a little bit disappointed with the first goal. I probably could have done a bit better. Um, we were a match. And I think that gave us confidence. And again, we we were on this fantastic run. We we were playing some tremendous football, and it was a, it was just a pleasure to be out there and knowing that come three o'clock or quarter to eight on a Tuesday night, just really looking forward to playing football. Going back to that, you you obviously won club another year again, second time. So I mean that that must have been good as well to save a lot of that when you were playing right back. I think supporters understood that I might not have been the best player out there every week, but they knew that I was doing a job for the team, and I think that goes a long way. They appreciate hard work, they appreciate those who wear the shirt with pride, and and that's what I did. Obviously, you need to have some sort of ability as well to stay in the team and prove your worth. To be awarded the clubman of the year for the second time was tremendous. And, and I guess with Gary Mills as well played an attacking brand of football it also relied on people like yourself to kind of have those solid performances if we didn't have a a solid defence with the likes of yourself and Dave McGurk that playoff season doesn't happen does it I think Millsy knew that he knew that he needed some foot soldiers and then he knew that he needed the flair and the, the players who can go and win your football matches and he he was honest with me, especially at negotiation of contracts. He'd say like, "Paz, you're an important player, but we can't have too many like you." And and he was right because I was fortunate that he believed in me and he trusted me. But I also knew that quite easily, I'm sure he could have found another person who was doing what I was doing. So I wasn't technically gifted. I wasn't you know someone who was going to go and score him thirty goals. But I think he knew that I was an important asset to the squad. And he appreciated what I brought to the team. So that Wembley twice season, go down in long in the history of, for, for York City fans. How did you feel when Millsy said, you're going to play a bit in midfield? I guess it's good in some respects that you're in the side, but you're not playing in your natural position. Whenever I played out of position, if you like, so I call out a position, I set a midfield role or full back. I always sort of went out and thought, you know what, I've got the manager's confidence. I've got the player's confidence because they've seen me work hard Monday to Friday. And all I'm going to do is just do my best. And I know it sounds so basic and so simple but it allowed me to perform just those simple sort of few words and Millsy he understood that my role in that team in that central midfield role was to just stop play 
I've always been the type of defender who likes to read things and be on the front foot. I'm not six foot wide and I'm never going to be a Steve McNulty, if you like. I try and sort of read things and I think Millsy sort of thought I could do that a little bit further up the pitch. He put me in there to break a play, pass the ball simple. He'd say, pass, win me the ball back and give it to someone who's better than you. With Scott Kerr, who was a key cog in that midfield, he gets injured, doesn't he? Probably from Gary Millsy's point of view, that that's a massive blow, but he's thinking, who can I trust yeah. to put in there? So even though you're, you're not normal in that centre midfield position yeah. to think right well I, I can do that can absolutely do I'm, I'm going back to Scott Kerr Scott Kerr could do so much more w- with the ball I mean Scott probably wasn't as defensive minded as me although he, he could still rat around and break a play he could give you so much more with the ball so I think the team sort of dynamic had to change slightly I think putting me in there I was sort of a stopper rather than someone who was going to get on the ball and start things if maybe our style did change slightly I think we had to go a little bit more direct because Meredith ended up playing midfield as well in that playoff final you had three, you had three defenders in midfield you had me Lanray and, and Mez and incredible really that who would have thought that in the playoff final to get back to the football league that that would be your start in midfield and, and it worked we nullified Luton and we had threats on the pitch to who could score goals well I think as well, sort of coming back to the game before, you, you nullified Mansfield as well. And, yeah. you know, I remember, uh, is it Exodus? Yeah. Hagen? I mean, yeah. another long throw specialist, but mm. I guess you've had Delap, who's probably the best in the business. So again, there's nothing That's there it. that you haven't faced before. It felt to me like, you know, once we'd got the goal at Mansfield, that there was no way no. we were going to concede. We were really organised. We had we had a good group. We, I mean, the likes of TY and then you got Smudge and Doigie was part of the group and Gibbo. And yeah. we had men who knew their jobs. I mean, Ben Gibson was 19 going on 29. I mean, he you just knew he was, he was going to be a good player. We were fortunate to have him for that spell and he played a big part in getting us over the line. And we, yeah, so... It was it was a pleasure to be part of that group. I mean, it really that, was. that Luton game as well. I mean, I had in my head that kind of Luton had us under so much pressure that last twenty minutes, and it was chance after. Chance. But actual fact, it wasn't. They, they had a lot of the ball, mm-hmm. but they never actually. They didn't. I don't cre- think Michaelingwell. Well they didn't saved create make, much. Really. They didn't create much, and I think. As a fan, it probably felt twenty times longer than it actually was. And yeah, I thought I thought we were organised. That they hurled balls in the box. I remember Lanray making a brilliant header yeah, and, and yeah, smashing yeah. McAllister. I think it was in the head. But other than that, they had the ball, but it was it was all in front of us, and we were able just to sort of block them out and stay organised and just ride it out, really. And I guess then, you know, promotion to the Football League, years after not being able to get a Football League club, I guess that was a real poignant moment for you. 100%. Um, it was huge, huge for me, because I'd always believed I was more than capable of playing in the Football League, and I always wanted to play in the Football League with York City. I dropped down to non-league for that opportunity, very grateful for York for that, and then the aim was to to get to the promised land if you like yeah. falling short Morecambe and then not being able to play in that Oxford final and then yet yeah, t- to finally get there it was a um, fantastic feeling that season back in the football league was a bizarre one wasn't it because we okay we lost on the opening day against Wickham but then we win at Barnet. You you get a, a volley as well from twenty yards at, on my left foot. On your left foot, York had quite a good start, really, didn't they? We did to, to the momentum from last season, and all right, we were going to lose 
now and again as we, we sort of adjusted. How did you feel as a player? Did you think like that as well? That, exactly that... like that. I thought we didn't fear anyone. Millsy sort of gave us that confidence. We weren't going to change our style. We had all the momentum from the previous season. And uh, yeah, we'd lose a game, but we wouldn't dwell on it. It wouldn't be a big crisis. Be on to the next one. You know, like Clark Carlisle coming in, who at the time was a real big name, wasn't he? He'd only played in the Premier League mm. a few years before. Yeah. When did you start to worry that it was becoming a real slump? I was in, in the whirlwind. I was part of the group. I honestly didn't feel we were going to get relegated. I think me and Sophie had a bit of a disagreement. I think Sophie sort of felt they had to make a change. And honestly, we, we drew so many games. Oh, Rotherham yeah, away. Yeah. We Literally were, last, last yeah, minute. Yeah, and it? we lose the ball in a stupid area. They go up and, and that was the way things were going. And yes, it was a sucker punch. Yes, it was another kick in the teeth. But as a group of players, we weren't defeated by any stretch of the imagination. And we still had support of the manager. I think it was vice versa. And I truly believe we would have turned it round. Obviously, the board had a decision to make and, and they, they made their decision. You know, like you mentioned that Rotherham game. In a way, it turns out, you, you can see the board sort of thinking, oh, maybe we're not going to stop this run. You can understand why they did what they did. As a player, I was shocked. I know there were supporters who were probably getting twitchy and, yeah, we were really shocked. I think because it taken so long to get back to the Football League as supporters, when the club first went down in 2004, there was that kind of thing, feel that, oh, we'll be back up in, the, in a year or two. And then when you're not, and it takes eight, eight long years to get back, and then you are sliding down the table. I'm with, I'm with you. I, I think that the, we would, would have probably still stayed up. I think mm-hmm. some of the games that maybe we won under Nigel Worthington, we might have lost under Gary Mill. That's out. what Sophie said. I think I saw it only a few weeks back. She fully believed they made the right decision because of the, just what you said there. There were games that we went on to win under Nigel. Like Northampton away, for, yeah. for example. Yeah, we, we, that was an incredible win that we may not have won under Millsy. And again, you know, Clubman of the Year, your third time, but was that the best one because it's in the Football League? Yeah, yeah for me, the fact that I then went on to sort of get that third accolade in the Football League, it's not any slight against the the previous two years, but obviously you're playing at a, at a better level and you're playing against better players and I still proved that I was more than capable of, of performing at League Two level. How, how big was the jump between the, the non-league and the Football League? People said, oh, it's, it's not that obvious, but I think it, it's the consistency. It's, it's Every week is a, is a tough game, whereas with respect, you get a few fixtures in the at conference level where as long as players were mentally switched on, you knew that you could win three or four. Whereas at League Two level, every game was competitive. I think the crowds as well make a big difference. It does, and, you, and you go into better stadiums, there's better atmospheres. It just It's football league. It's, it's where everybody wants to play. What was Nigel like then when he came in? For, for you personally, did he sort of say you're going to play a big part? Absolutely. Yeah. He came in and he was very diligent, very extremely organised. He was very 4-4-2, solid, hard to beat, strong spine of the team. I guess um, that was the opposite of Gary, wasn't it? Because yeah. obviously you played yeah. this expansive brand of football for years yeah. and then all of a sudden he'd come in, he was, from a supporter's point of view, it looked fairly direct. and He based and, his game on not not losing games and then trying to nick him at the other end really and in the position we were in I think for that back end of that season it was probably the right thing to do if you're not going to concede goals and nick a goal then we just desperately needed to find some points and I, and I guess with Nigel as well it's not like Gary when he's appointed where you think oh I'm going to have to Google who he is I guess mm. Nigel straight away must have got the command of the dressing room he did he former been, international manager wasn't he yeah and, for sure and he had a hell of a career himself and now he, he was a very, he was very fit he'd love to take part in all the warm up he'd be at the front he'd be charging round any demos he'd be doing it all technically he could still do it he had a 
great left foot. And I think he, he was frustrated when he when he was working with some League Two footballers <laughs> who couldn't do what he was clearly capable of. Like I say, he was very thorough and he, again, he knew what he wanted and he just sort of drilled into everyone, you know, the shape. And again, I played some quite a big chunk of my football in centre midfield and Nigel Worthington. The season after, you've got that massive high that, that you've kind of had coming of the year for a time, you've proved it in the Football League. I mean, obviously, you get a real bad injury, don't you, against South End? Talk us back through that. Well, the start of that season was really frustrating, really, because, again, I have been in and out of the team. I've sort of had to sort of always, you prove yourself that, you know, like week in, week out. And I had a spell out of the team. I, I didn't make the starting 11 for the first league game, which is everyone's sort of aim. And then I had to sort of buy my time a little bit. And then eventually I sort of get a little run in the team, which is great. And then, yeah, South End away, I pick up this nasty ACL injury. And at the time, I didn't think he was as serious as it was. I think I just, I could put weight on it. So I was like, oh, I can't be that bad. I heard something and I heard like a, a ping and I knew something had happened but the fact that it was weight-bearing but then obviously the more research you do and once you find out a bit more about it it was clear that I'd had a serious injury and um, I think everybody just wanted to get me back safely and soundly back up north from South End, and then we had to wait for the swelling to go down a little bit and then so that was a, it was a long week or so before I found out the extent of the damage and um, yeah hearing the news was was horrible the, the second half of that season was massively successful wasn't it obviously Nick Pope comes yeah. in you know McComb and Lowett yeah. centre back Forged as well a great partnership, great partnership. Yeah. but is that difficult because that's kind of that position you want to be in isn't it it really? is but at the, at the same time I had to concentrate on getting fit Nigel had given me a two year contract which I was extremely grateful for and fortunate for so yeah because you're not then thinking yeah Ah, right, I'm out of contract. Yeah. Am I going to get back in time? Yeah. To... I knew, and he was great. Nigel said, look, just get yourself ready. Do what you, He said, we're here to support you. You've got you've got another year. And he was really reassuring. And I was York's biggest number one fan there. I was doing my rehabilitation and I'd go to every home game. I'd travel to most away if I could. And yeah, I'd, I was cheering on the lads and we went on to play some solid, strong, organised football. And we went on an incredible run. Nick Pope used to catch out anything and everything in the box. Did you guys know he was that good straight away, like from first well, training it, session? And no, well, it's funny. South, he played South End. What was his South debut, End was it? his yeah. debut, so I only played twenty minutes with him. But we had met Nick. We would we travelled down, trained somewhere near South End. I can't remember where it was actually. On the Friday. And Nige grabbed a few of us and said, oh, I've got a good keeper coming in tomorrow. He's like, oh, yeah, good, good keeper. He said, it comes for everything. He'll come, any, anything in the box, he will come and grab it. And as a centre half, you want to hear that. That's that's good yeah. news. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're having to head 20 footballs out of your box every, every game, then it just takes so much pressure off you. And yeah, he turns up. I played 20 minutes with him, but then I had front row seat and I went on to watch him then for the rest of the season. And he, he, and he was incredible. Such a great player. And then Lowy, I think it was Keith Lowe's debut as well, I think, South End. Another solid player. And someone who you know what you're going to get. And him and John, Popey, Ben Davis, Lanry. You had a strong back. You had a strong defensive unit there, mm. and which was Nigel over. Build from the back and then go on and win games from there, really. And then, and then again, it feels like a recurring theme, but like almost like a playoff hangover again the, ne- the next season, isn't it? And then, you know, all of a sudden, Nigel's out. Russ Wilcox comes in, but you're sort of getting back fit, but can't really sort of prove anything to Russ Wilcox. Hugely frustrating because I I was desperate to get fit and I was never quite going to catch the start of the season. So Nige said, look, go and get a month at Grimsby. I was like, yeah, 
I knew Hurst. Because you've missed you've missed preseason, haven't you? Then? Yeah, so games, I'd missed you? a lot of football. So and I knew Doig. Obviously, Doig was at Grimsby as well now. So they they were desperate for for me to go down there, and it suited all parties. And and then obviously with Nige then walking, I'd I think I had a week left at Grimsby. I'd honour that last match, and that I was desperate to get back to York. Mm. It was an opportunity to get yeah, back yeah. in the mix, do something I've done many times before, impress a new manager, get back in the team, prove my worth. I'd done all right at Grimsby. I'd played four or five matches in a row I'd the knee was good and I was rearing to go and then it was hugely frustrating massively frustrating I I, I got a little story for you I returned from my long spell at Grimsby meet Russ on the Monday I'd missed the training so I'd so he said oh great to have you back Steve Torpy was his assistant so Torps had been there for a while he's Torps knew you know what I was about I had to go into the secretary's office I had to go and see Lisa to sign a form just a registration form just to say I was available to play for York and I walk in and Steve Torpy <laughs> I overhear him chatting to the secretary saying how quick can we get Dan back out on loan so I interrupt them and I'm sort of taken aback and I'm like oh so rather than waste my time chatting to the secretary and Steve Torpy I go straight back to see Russ Wilcox and say I've just overheard a conversation that you're already thinking about getting me straight back out of the football club I want to play at York he said oh no no honestly nothing no you're a York City player I'm giving everyone a fair, fair shot so I was like, right, okay. It's like almost like playground stuff, isn't it? Honestly, <laughs> it was incredible. It hit me really hard. So I knuckled down. I didn't play for a few weeks. Doigie was still keen for me to go back to Grimsby, but I didn't really want to go. I was contracted at York. I'd played for York for so long, and I truly believed I was better than what was currently at the football club. So did you not trust Russ Wilcox then from that moment on? I took his word. He said yeah, to yeah. me, no, you're no, you're part of my plans. You know, you're going to have a mm. chance to impress. So I gave him a shot. I thought, well, if you're telling me that to my face, then... And then two, three weeks later, I still wasn't in the team and I get a call off Russ um, saying, Grimsby, we want to take you, Dan. And I was like, well, I don't, I want to play for York. He was like, well, you're not going to really play for York. <laughs> And then, and then he sort of tried to justify it and he'd say, look, you're not big enough for me. You know, I like my centre-halves bigger. And he was just sort of throwing reasons why I wouldn't play for York. So reluctantly, I felt as though I needed to go and play. Well, it, it was hard. And, and in hindsight, I don't think moving to Grimsby was... I mean, I went on to play quite a few games for Grimsby. But in the end, I, towards the back end of that, at Grimsby, I didn't play for Grimsby either. So I was a lone player from York at Grimsby, not playing for Grimsby. And I was then seriously worried about what where I was going to be next season. Out of contract at York, you're hoping you impress Grimsby enough to earn yourself a deal. A good football club, Grimsby Town, big football club. I then get the double whammy bad news, really. That there was no contract offer at York and there was no contract offer at Grimsby. Came on, didn't you, at Wembley? Yeah, for Grimsby, I played. The, the I, I played thirty games for Grimsby, and the last three or four I missed out. Yeah, I didn't play the, in the playoff final. I end up coming on because Gregor Robertson playing with one leg, the left fullback. He he didn't want to miss out a, a, to yeah. play at Wembley uh, like most, but he he wasn't fit. He no. shouldn't have played. He played. He was limping round for about fifty minutes. Couldn't use his right foot, and then in the one time he did use his right foot, he tweaks his medial. 
which is what he'd been out with for six weeks. Reality kicks in and you're thinking, I'm out of contract here. And would I'm, it have made a difference if Grimsby got promoted? No, the matter? fact that I, I wasn't offered a, a contract at national league level, it was it was hard. I, I, I thought I'd done enough to earn myself a deal and they said, you know, they're going a different direction and thanked me for all my hard work. And, Is that um, why you didn't take one of the five penalties for him? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I might have done better than them. So then that summer was a, a horrible summer. Real, real tough summer. We hadn't long moved house, trying to keep keep busy. I, we were renovating the house and I was painting and doing all sorts of DIY just to keep busy. And then July comes and you're still without a football club. And Which I guess when you've played that many games as well, you you would think from the outside that yeah. you would have, like, yeah, maybe not your picker clubs, but you'd have a, you know, a few interests yeah, in, in both le- you know, League Two and Conference yeah, as that's well. Because you know, you've, you've, you've played a lot in, in, in yeah. both kind of... Footballs um, can change in the blink of an eye and... You have. I had that sort of spell out of the team and with through injury, and then you're tr- desperately trying to sort of start again, if you like. And um, yeah, it was that summer was hard. And then you get again. I get a lifeline from Cheltenham Town where I write the letters again. Again, you're back to again. writing the letters. Yeah. No agent. I've never bothered with agents. I've I had I've briefly had agents, and they were an absolute waste of time. Promise you the world. And then when push comes to shove, and you actually need them to do something or make opportunities happen then I guess they're taking a cut as well aren't they well yeah they do and like I'm big enough and ugly enough to speak for myself in contract negotiations and speak to managers myself so yeah I think when I was younger I just think oh you've got to have an agent but the older I've got you've realised that I'm more than capable of looking after myself and and then yeah Cheltenham Town Gary Johnson pops a call in saying we we need a centre half would you come down for a trial what's that like going back on trial we didn't mention it earlier but you were on trial at Swansea as well weren't you Roberto Martinez was a player at Swansea at the Kenny Jacket was manager at Swansea and yeah so like it's hard not to try too hard but then at the same time you know how important and huge and is that just training or do you play you play like a practice match and stuff you just, well at Cheltenham it was um, a couple of pre-season friendlies so Right. We just, I went down, trained, played a couple of games, and then it happened quite quickly. Actually, within ten days or so, they were keen to bring me in. And, and you were saying that you were settled in York there at that yeah. point. So you commuting then to? I, it was it was tough. It, it, obviously, being from just over the bridge there, I was able to sort of commute from my mum and dad's. My week would entail playing football on a Saturday, shooting straight back up to York Saturday night, spending Sunday at home and then turning round early Monday morning to get back down for training. So yeah, I spent a lot of my time in the car, three three and a bit hours run and then during the week I'd go back just lodge at my mum and dad's. My <laughs> wife, she understood how much I love playing football and she was fully supportive about it but reality kicks in then when you 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 know you're not seeing each other maybe once a week sometimes not even once a week where you lose a game on a Saturday at Cheltenham and all of a sudden Gary Johnson says you're in tomorrow tomorrow. Mm. we're all looking at the video so then you've got put that call in cancel plans on a Saturday night say you're not going to be there Sunday and it's just emotionally it was it was hard but Football-wise, it was probably the best year ever. Well, I was going to say, the cat, I mean, too many times he dragged you in on a Sunday because you were 101 points. Yeah. Um, you were in the team of the year and yeah. you were players player of the year. Does it get better as you get older because you maybe appreciate it more, do you, you think? You do. I think that project at Cheltenham was 
they just dropped out of the Football League and Gary Johnson's remit was we need to get straight back to the Football League. And he told the players that. He was very honest and he recruited a whole new group. He got a whole new 11, I think he was... Does that not take time, time to gel though when you've got that many? We, we, just, we just clicked. He sort of got a core group of three or four experienced heads like some myself and Danny Wright, Kyle Storer, Harry Pell, Asa Hall... And then he built around that. So we had our spine. He just plucked players, just released out of West Ham or Tottenham. And we had some really good young players. Got a good balance there. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I've never worked under a manager who was so intense or so thorough at conference level to have an analysts and GPS and go in and have hydration tests. And everything was just, it was just immaculate. And we we deserved to win that league because we worked harder than anyone. It was it was as simple as that. And then obviously you get a new contract there. Was that quite difficult to sign, knowing that locality thing with your? Distance? It was and it wasn't. I think on the back of the success of the previous year, I think I would have been not. I would have been a fool to walk away from a contract offer. So yeah, the contract was put in front of me, and I had a brief conversation with. Emma and it was a case of you've got to do what you've got to do and like I guess your football career is quite quite short isn't it, it is really? and so you've got to think you know this isn't for the next 20 years of course it, so. and yeah it was it was a matter of we we did it for the previous year and we can do it again and it was and again he was back in the football league felt as though I'd earned that because I'd right, yeah. you know I'd been released from York and then I'd gone and proved myself again at Cheltenham Town I'm presuming that, that you kind of drop out that Cheltenham team at mm-hmm. some point and then the opportunity comes from Gary Mills That's right, yeah. for York well, I guess you probably didn't think twice about it, that was it it was um, Gary Johnson was very honest he said look you've done well he said I feel as though I'm, I just need to go a different direction he, he said you're a long way from home and he said I know York are desperate to take you he said so I'm not pushing you out but he said, if you want to go, you can go. And yeah, Millsy would sort of been on the phone a few times. And Did he match your contract offer with, with Cheltenham? Or? It was just a matter of York City agreeing terms with Cheltenham Town. So I was contracted at Cheltenham for the rest of that season. They had to pay X amount of my salary. So I think they were paying the majority of it, not all of it. So the board granted that and just brought me back. And I, was, I loved it. I loved being back at York. Love playing for Gary Mills again. Was he different in his second spell then? Because, you know, again, from from a supporter's point of view, the football was different. I don't know whether that was because of the players he had at his disposal or whether his spells at Gateshead and Wrexham had changed him slightly or... I think so. I think I think, I think that's right. I think he'd, he'd obviously stuck by his footballing ways and not quite got there with Gateshead and Wrexham. And I think when you're sort of thrown into a job and you've got the likes of John Park in your team, for example, you can't compare the likes of John to a front three of Ash, Jason Walker and Blairy. It's just, he was more direct. His motivational skills hadn't disappeared, but he definitely shifted. So tactically, it was different. It was, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a little bit of a, a joke where I think I tried to pass the ball into midfield, and then I think he said, yeah, pass, we don't do that anymore. So he didn't really want, want to do it. But he right. felt as though he had to. Because it felt at times as well that, you know, towards the end of that season that, you know, basically if we couldn't break a team down, we'd bring Sam Muggleton on to, to bomb it in the in the box with his long throw. And teams initially would panic a little bit, but then they would kind of get used to it. And then it would just like games would peter out. And whatever. I remember re- on my return, the first six to eight weeks, we played some, we, we did all right. Like in January, February, we, yeah. we played some football. We were unlucky, picked up some good results, but everyone else was winning as well. So we, we didn't, we weren't quite clawing away and, getting ourselves out of trouble and then 
as it got to crunch time and we were still sort of in the relegation zone, I think there was a definite shift then of the directness, bringing mugs on and, and desperation a little bit. I think it was. I think it was, God, we need to, we just need to score somehow and just, yeah. just launch you 50 yards in the box, hope it drop, drops to Parky and tucks it away. Yeah, I mean, Parky was incredible that season, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, you couldn't ask for any more from a, from a striker in terms yeah. of goal scoring. Got to Wembley again with the FA Trophy final, but whether they played too many games because we'd already done it before, yeah. it was a little bit like the league was the priority. And uh, I, I was, felt like yeah. maybe the Bromley game at home where they lose, we lose 2-0. Two, two yeah. Wrexham at home where we lose 3-1. The Wrexham game um, was horrible. I remember getting a good result away at Solihull and knowing that we just needed, I think we only needed one more win and we had three or four games left. And you're thinking, right, we got Wrexham at home, good yeah. chance together. And they were, they were nothing to play for. Yeah, they? they were struggling themselves. And then that game comes and goes and then you're thinking, right, the next one. And then going into Forest Green, needing a result, it was always, you know, far from ideal with the position Forest Green were in. Yeah, well, I mean, the silence at the end. Yeah, the you'd hear a pin I've was... never heard anything like no. just so eerie, wasn't no, it? No, it was um, just... What was it like in the dressing room after that? A lot of those players were on short-term contracts, weren't they? And, you know, okay, there was Wembley to kind of, for those players to look forward to personally. But but for you, as someone who's been at the club that long, you obviously knew what impact that would yeah. have. No one knew what to say. I think we were just, we could hear and rest outside. So it, there was silence in the dressing room and you could hear fans venting their frustration. And Millsy tried to sort of just say, look, how proud he was of us and how, yeah, we haven't quite done it. I think he was all a, a bit of an act. He was trying to just put that brave front on and because mm. um, we were all just so dejected. And, and then we had to wait two weeks, whatever it was, to go and play this cup final. And that was just really, really hard. I mean, he gave us, I think, a week off because he just said, you just need to go and get your yeah, heads right. Straight, yeah. you know. And he, what, what was the trophy game like? Was it, was it hard to motivate yourself yeah it was yeah. I mean like you said there, you never take playing at Wembley for granted of course not but yeah. that one was by far the most difficult it soon comes around to the following season and, and a lot of players stay don't they because yeah. I think you know there was a good run at the end of that season and those other teams don't yeah. quite win those games to keep up and was it a quick decision for you to day on did you have offers from other clubs yeah or? I did have offers but I felt partly responsible for York's relegation and I felt I wanted to play a big part in getting York City back to where they should be. For the sake of £100, £150 a week more, travelling two hours down the road, I was never, ever going to do that. Millsy was saying, I've had really good vibes off everyone. They're all going to stay. He said, Dan, I, I want you to stay. And I was like, yeah, no doubt. I wanted to do my bit to get York City back to where they should be. How much did you know about the National League North? Did you... Because obviously you've only ever played it. Yeah, not too it. much. I was under no illusions that it was going to be difficult. But with the group, we got back together. And full time as full well. Full time. I had full confidence that we could get promoted. When did that sort of start to ebb away? I don't think it ever ebbed away from me. It might have from a few others. But obviously we lose the first game against Telford. We yeah. batter Telford. Yeah. Didn't score. They only had one shot they in had, the whole game. And then yeah. you're thinking, right is this a sign <laughs> you know i mean i got thrown in front of the press and it was the end of the world i remember radio york sort of just being really critical um and i tried to sort of say well hang on 
one game and but then it did it turned into a few and it didn't go to plan and it was a bit of a sticky start and we weren't performing as we should have do you think Gary felt under pressure because Harrogate game in particular where Harrogate were a better team on that day when we lost 2-0 there he was starting to get a little bit fiery in the press was he like that in the dressing room as well he didn't show it to the players some players listen to social media and media outlets and others don't but you hear then whispers as to how the an interview might have gone or if it was prickly or whatever I remember that Harrogate game and I'll never forget it it was a lot of York fans there York fans were cheering Millsy's name so loud before the game and then within an hour it was completely role reversed and he took some flack it was a poor performance the goals were terrible both from count corners I think one was straight up the pitch John Worsnop I think just sort of clattered someone give away a penalty horrendous horrendous performance that's how quick football can change he must have taken that quite bad though Gary it's hard not to take it personal when I don't think anyone really fully held him responsible for the club getting relegated to the conference not I think he felt hard done by the first time round going yeah. back to when he left the club the first time but then you can't sort of use you know that emotion in your here and now this is it you know you're back at the football club so coming on to his sacking York City win at Salford in the FA Cup and then they lose at South Shields which is a game that kind of cost him his job but actual fact if he'd have lost at Salford I think he'd have probably had longer because South Shields at the time was seen as a real kind of massive upset. Yeah. I think that almost kind of, like he was sacked almost sort of 20 minutes after the game, wasn't Well, there it? was no doubt he was lined up. Martin yeah. Gray had sort of clearly been touted for the job for weeks and weeks. And I think he was hoping to get the job in the summer. I think Gary Mills was a dead man walking. I think they were just waiting for an opportunity to bring in Martin Gray. When we interviewed Dave Flett, he was saying that he felt that all the players stayed for Gary Mills that season. And then when Martin Gray comes in, that you know these players had, had stayed for a specific manager. Yeah. And then did, did you feel that as, as a player that it was a bit divided then? I wouldn't say divided. I, like, managers come and go. Like You put right, your you faith... With it. Well, you do. Yeah. You have to because you put your faith in, in a manager who brings who wants to sign you to the football club. But then you're not going to just down tools and think, well... No. Because you've got to think of, your, think of the football club and you've got to think of yourself. I mean, you've got players who only sign year contracts and... York City is a bloody good football club. So although Gary Mills signed me to the football club, I was never then not going to want to play play for Martin Gray because I wanted to play for York City, whether it was Millsy or Martin Gray. What do you think went wrong under Martin Gray? My honest opinion is I think York City was just too big for him. Martin Gray had a hell of a football career himself. Good player. He had some success with Darlington. I just think York City was just a bit too much too soon, maybe. He came in and he was keen to sort of get that bounce effect and he did make his mark and I think he, on the training pitch, he'd sort of tried to simplify things, which I think, and he did, I think he was quite hands-on and early on I thought there was some structure, there was some real sort of identity, but then very quickly I think evaporated. Martin seemed to like lots of staff around him. I think every other week there was someone new coming in, whether it be a scout or another coach or a different coach. I think he liked to sort of bounce ideas off lots of people. And I think it might have been to his own detriment because I think sometimes you just need to just be your own man. There was times in that season as well where when we beat Salford at home 1-0, the longest is bouncing, yeah. you know, and you're thinking their favourites, you know, one of the favourites yeah. to go up. Then That's the it. week after, we got a Curzon Ashton and lose 4-1. It was kind of that sort of season, wasn't it? It almost felt to me like it was no surprise that we beat Salford because we could get up for the big games. Yeah. Like we beat Stockport home as well in front of a big crowd at, at Boone Crescent. But when it came to the little smaller teams that, that maybe didn't have as big a crowd or whatever, do you think some of the players found it difficult to get up for that? I think it's common knowledge that York City and the Conference North, every other team 
it's the first one they look out for. So as a player, you should know that. You should expect. No one's just going to lie down and think, oh, we're playing York today. Let's let them win 3-0. There's some fit, strong, athletic players, whether they play for Curzon Ashton or whether they play for Stockport County. And there's players who choose to play part-time football because they've got a decent job. They they like training Tuesday and Thursday and then having a kickabout with their mates. That's where, as horrible as it sounds, that's what some teams are who York City are playing against. It's not their profession, it's not their job, and it doesn't give the professionals, i.e. York City, any right just to, just to demand yeah. three I mean, points. I mean, I guess you look at the league below and you've got someone like Michael Coulson who fires loads of goals in for Scarborough, Coulson, who, who we all know is a fantastic he player, could still, still relatively young. Of course you know. he could. He, he could go playing for a conference club tomorrow yeah. if he wanted to. Yeah. He's got the ability. We've all, we all know how good Michael Coulson is. It's just circumstances in people's lives that, depending on where they are, what they're doing, if, if they get an opportunity, opportunity for a good job or whatever yeah the the full-time thing with york it should give you an advantage it it really should Mm. because you've got so much time to work with players to put things into practice whether it be fitness or tactical work and you should use that to your advantage have york city for the past few years done that probably not two years before you 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 got 101 points and you're up with Cheltenham yeah. and you're back in the Football League and yeah. now you're in the Conference North and you're not you're not, not getting in the squad. It's so frustrating. Are you the sort of person that would knock on the manager's door oh, and say, yeah. oh, hang on a minute, I'm an elder statesman here now. And, and When any manager comes in, most of the time they have their eye on X, Y or Z, whether it be a few different players or they would have already have made their mind up on some players in the squad. I think Martin clearly knew that I'd been at the football club a long time. I think he tried to sort of tiptoe around and not once did I have a fallout with Martin Gray. It was just sort of, I didn't quite understand why I wasn't in the team when I still felt I was more than capable of performing at this level, for sure. And he'd say his bit. That was pretty much as far as, it, as it'd go. Martin was a bit old school. I think he felt he needed his centre-half to be a foot taller than me and a bit wider than me and pick up the odd red card, if you like, which is not my style. I've played yeah. all my football a certain way and he was never going to change me if I'm not his sort of player as I Russ Wilcox quite honestly said and I think it was very much the case with um, Martin Gray I think he stuck with Hams Hams is a big big guy you know a bit bigger than me he puts himself about a bit more and out of the ones who were already there I think he sided with Hamza what can you do you just knuckle down work hard and hope that eventually in my opinion, see sense. And what about Sam Collins as well? With club are spiralling out there and, and you're on the fringes again. Yeah, like I think I saw Sam and because Sam was working with the youth team and then I, I went to see him quite quickly to say, Sam, look, I haven't played much football. Just want to let you know I'm still very fit, more than capable. I just don't want you to hear from Hearsay or from Dave Penny or whoever else might be in your ear. All I wanted to do was just get my piece across to say that I'll prove to you I'll work as hard as anyone in training and just you pick your team on what you think. Don't let anyone else make your mind up. Yeah. I just wanted to sort of get that out there. He said, yeah, absolutely, and he will. And, you know, he was a centre-half himself. And, you know, I said, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I said, you've made a career in football. I've made a career in being a centre-half. You were probably a little bit different to the way I play. I'm sure you're not naive enough to think that because I'm not, like I said, this big, massive bruiser, that doesn't mean I can't play. So we had that brief conversation. It might not have fallen on deaf ears, but I didn't play again. He picked his team. He picked his team again and again and again. And we had a heavy defeat against Bradford Park Avenue at home. And 
he just lost it. He went absolutely ballistic in the dressing room, just screaming at most players, hammering the centre-halves. And, and he pointed at me and said, make sure you're ready for next week. And I thought it was a bit unfair because I'd just done my my, lat- my medial. <laughs> there was no way I was going to be ready next no. week. And I was trying to get fit, but I was, but I just wasn't fit. I just wasn't no. ready. And I couldn't... But like go- you said about the Grimsby player. I just wasn't right. And then I sort of eventually get thrown in and I do all right against Brackley. And then we had the, we have the horror show against Darlington. You know, when you concede five goals, I think it was, I'm not saying I played well. Look, I mean, I'm not foolish enough and I'm honest enough to say that, but I was sort of the one who got hooked. And I mean, that Darlington game as well must have been tricky for you because I was right next to the tunnel that day and that some of the abuse that the players were getting there, it's not aimed at people like yourself who've played so many games for the club. It must be hard to be in the mix of that where, you know, yeah. even people are throwing coins and stuff. Yeah, like it, was ho- yeah it was horrible, obviously. No one expected that performance on the back of a good performance the week before. Understand the fans' frustrations. You do feel as though you've let people down. Because I've been associated with the club for so long. I know lots of fans. You get to know so many people along the way. And as a in a team sport, you share responsibility, but at the same time, you it's also easy to sort of just pass on responsibility. Mm. I think some just say, oh, well, I'm all right, Jack, and this it's not my fault. I did my bit, or I scored today, or whatever. Yeah. I think it's important that, and I've never been like that. I've always, I'm my own worst critic, win, lose, or draw, you always tend to remember the things you don't do so well. When you get battered 5-1 against Darlington, you, you do, you you feel terrible and then you hope you get an opportunity the week after to try and rectify it and that that's all you can do in sport there's always another game and you hope you've got the manager's faith and trust to be one of the 11 that he's chosen to put things right and unfortunately it, I didn't and then bringing it on to sort of more modern times with, with Steve Watson just sort of got yourself back in the team haven't you and then, then you, you get your horrific head injury yeah because I know you've had a real rough time, haven't you, since it happened yeah. and, and, you know, obviously suddenly having to retire. And Do you feel bitter about how your football career ended? Um, I wouldn't say bitter. It's it's hard to ex- accept that you've had to stop, not on your terms. Waiting for an opportunity under the new manager again, where you eventually get thrown in and then for it to last 40 minutes... Pick up a seemingly innocuous head injury. No one really thought too much of it at the time. And then, you know... And the thing is, well, you, you have a pretty solid game. It was one of those nights where I didn't know I was playing until 7 o'clock. I was like, oh, bloody hell. But <laughs> a bit left field. And then you think, right, let's go and do it. And you've, this is what I've been waiting for, finally. You know, and then for it to just pick up the injury and then to not play again is... No one really thought back at February the 6th that that was going to be the case. Yeah, the hardest bit was fighting to get back fit and then accepting that I needed to concentrate on my health. I was still desperate to get fit and earn a new contract at York. And I think I tried to dip my toe in and do a little bit of exercise and then I clearly wasn't ready and I'd go backwards. I fell off an exercise bike and dizziness and... I'd, I'd so I was just so keen to get back out there. I just had to just allow myself to get better, and I just needed to rest and give myself time because months and months down the line, I I, w- I was still struggling. It was the headaches wouldn't shift, the fatigue, um, real heavy and achy limbs. You must have gone up for a million headers yeah. in your career, and then it's just uh, like you say, it was pretty innocuous from what what I remember. I split forehead, broke my nose a few times, and I've whacked my head probably. 
50 times harder but it was all to do with a point of contact and right. just just above the temple yeah it was just really not being able to recover from it in time to carry on playing football was it was hard because football's all, football's all I've known for such a long time in my life and I was getting towards the age where I've started to think about life after football but I fully believed I could play for another year or two so you don't sort of fully commit to making those steps and changes because football was still the plan then your whole world sort of turned upside down and the world doesn't stop and you need to sort of carry on and try and earn a, earn a living and so now I'm doing some, something completely different mother-in-law runs uh, a business in children's activity resources whether it be activity books or activity sheets or information leaflets at museums or that sort of thing so it's completely different it's good it's, it's talking to people it's showing people what color heroes and the business is all about and why they would benefit from it so it's um it's, it's good completely different i mean i guess you wouldn't have missed pre-season um... you know what? I, I really enjoyed pre-season yeah. I, I, I was a bit weird like that I love the feeling of getting fit. I'm not one to sort of have a blowout in the off-season and go back three stone heavier or whatever, but there's no better feeling than doing a tough session in the morning and coming through it and then feeling fitter and then going again the next day. I mean, it's hard. I really loved the challenge. Loved Mm -hmm. it. Just to finish off, you know, it's been fantastic to hear your insight and we've, we've pretty much covered every season, I feel, for like the last 20 years. said so I'm going to talk about your all-time 11, so uh, do you want to reveal? As you know, I've been at York so long and it's been really difficult to get 11 names down on a bit of paper and I apologise in advance for <laughs> anyone who I've offended, but I'll try. In goal, I've gone for Ingy, played with him for years, always knew what you were going to get, such a solid, reliable goalkeeper. Couldn't really put Nick Pope in when I only played with him I for think Ingy would have been a bit annoyed if this was 20 minutes yeah and then i've gone for ben gibson david mcgurk jack o'connell and james meredith solid strong back for all couple of those in the premier league now yeah jack o'connell i remember that, that rotherham game we talked about earlier he, yeah. he was fantastic that night. yeah fantastic players who i've had the pleasure of playing alongside and then midfield matty blair alex lawless neil bishop Ash Chambers, bit of everything in there for me. You got Blairy and Ash, who, like I said earlier, just ridiculously quick and could just tear teams apart. And then you've got two in centre midfield who were so comfortable on the ball, but would pop up with a goal. But they could also do the ugly side of it as well. Yeah, I always um, wish Neil Bishop had stayed a lot longer. Yeah, he, did. he didn't need to go to Barnet really, months, did he? It, yeah. yeah, I was. I really enjoyed playing with Bish. He was such a. He was deceptive. He was a really good athlete. And then Woolley, Martin Wolford. Clayton Donaldson. Very strong lineup. Yeah, and those are lads from my early years at York. And then honourable mentions, I mean, you got the likes of Crezzy and Curry and Ben Davis and so many other lads who I've been very lucky enough to share a pitch with. But yeah. Would it be managed by Gary Mills? Yes. With you as his assistant? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed playing my football the most in the Gary Mills. I, let's put it that way. I, I, th- I just think he got the best out of me at York. Well, thanks again, Dan. It's been absolutely fantastic thank you very much thanks a lot so thanks there to Dan Parsler for giving up his time to speak to us at Hospital Radio as you know Dan's in his benefit year as well that's still ongoing he's got a Dan Parsler special dinner coming up on Thursday the 26th of March tickets still available for that for £50 if you email Parslow dinner or one word at gmail.com for more details there is an Eventbrite page as well that you can just google and there's lots of information there about what sort of things are happening at the dinner so if you've enjoyed this podcast you'd really enjoy that event too it's 
Special thanks also to our sponsors, Play Football, sponsored a couple of episodes in the first series. Really grateful to them for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Always lots of stuff going on down there at Clifton Moor, where that's walking football, five-a-side leagues, six-a-side leagues, birthday parties, pitch hire, hiring the facilities. So thanks to them, and obviously thanks to you guys for listening again. You know, the, the listening figures have been massive increase on this series as the, the words kind of getting round about the podcast so I really appreciate the support that people have given it and uh, spreading the word about it hopefully we'll be back for another series or at least uh, some specials in the future I've got a few ideas on that score so we'll uh, keep everyone in the loop via Twitter so uh, thanks again mm-hmm.